This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. If you have not already checked out the newest podcast in our network, Ready to Run with Dr. Efren Kabbalas and Kurt Roser, who is a physical therapist, go check that out. They've got four great episodes already posted. You'll learn a lot from that podcast. Really pumped to have that in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Today is the first of a three-part Grandma's Marathon series. This episode is with third place finisher, Susanna Sullivan. She ran 226.56 at Grandma's. She's having a big year. She also won the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. She is a fifth grade teacher and she also ran in the 2016 and the 2020 Olympic marathon trials. Things are really coming together for her right now. And I was really excited to get to know Susanna. If you are excited about these three episodes, the nutrition series we're putting out, any of that, please share it with your friends on social media and leave us a quick rating interview on iTunes or Spotify. We are doing a giveaway every month. We draw a winner for a pair of Gooder sunglasses for the new reviews that come through on iTunes. If you simply leave a rating on Spotify, just send us an email so we can get you in that drawing. Uh, today's episode of the podcast is supported by Shoot Photography. If you need family pictures, running pictures, pictures for work, whatever it is, this is the way to go. You cannot beat the prices. They are in over 60 locations around the country and you just book a 30 minute session. You don't even pay to book it. And then when you get your pictures back, which take like literally 24 hours, I I had mine back within a day. Um, Sometimes it maybe will take 48 hours, but you get your pictures back, you pay for what you love and that's that. And if you love them all, you can pay for the whole package for as little as $2.95. If you check it out, book your appointment, book your session, um, go to shoot, S-H-O-O-T-T dot com to see if they are in your area. And once you book it, you get your pictures back. Use the code SANDYBOY and that'll get you 15% off when you purchase five photos or more. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Susanna. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Susanna Sullivan to the show. Welcome to the show, Susanna. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real treat. So fun. You just had such a great race at Grandma's placing third. Big PR. How do you feel? Grandma's was was amazing. Um, I feel like it was a race where um, you know I I ran my own race, and a lot of the things you hear about what a marath- like a well-executed marathon is supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. It actually felt like that for the first time. So that was really exciting. 226.56, also the first time you've ever gone under 230. So 233, you ran in Boston last fall. That's, a, that's like yeah. such a huge step. Did you know you were kind of leading in that direction? I knew I was really fit. And I really thought last fall in Boston that I was – ready to run under 230. I didn't think that was probably realistic on that course because it was the first time I'd run Boston. Um, Mm. And going into Boston last fall, um, 
I had had a little bit of like knee tendonitis and it had cleared up before the race, but I suspected that it would come back um, during the race after all of the the downhills. Um, and about halfway, I was kind of, I was, I was not feeling great. Um, and uh, so I was, I was proud to gut out a, a five second PR, but um, I knew back then that I was probably fitter than the 233. Um, and this past spring, we focused a lot on the track. Um, so I knew that, um, at least early on, a PR pace was going to feel pretty comfortable. And I was just relieved that it felt really comfortable almost until the very end. Um, let's hop back to Boston real quick, just since we mentioned it. What did you think about your first Boston? Um, it was, uh, it, it was just a lot. Um, it was very <laughs> overwhelming. um, I kind of at the last minute got a spot, um, in the, um, in, in the elite field. Like I was part of the elite runner or I was part of the invited field, but, um, I didn't, I wasn't involved in like any of the, you know, the pre-race, um, like elite fanfare. And so I kind of felt like I was very much kind of flying, um, under the radar there, but, um, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I found myself in the lead fairly, um, early on because we didn't really go out all that fast, much slower than, than this most recent Boston. And I think I just kind of ran out of steam. I think I had a lot of nerves that I ran out pretty early. Um, so it was a, it was a tough slog that, that second half, but, um, it was a very cool experience. It was my first major and, uh, you know, Boston just had so much history. Um, and I feel like since Boston, I've, I've read a lot about, um, the course and about other people's experiences on it. And it just feels um, really special to, for those stories to kind of make more sense, having experienced, you know, the, the screaming in Wellesley and all the, on, in the Newton Hills and all that. So. Totally. Um, yeah. I just feel like anybody's first Boston, it's like, well, we'll see what happens. Trade hard and <laughs> yeah. see what happens here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so interesting. You said you were flying under the radar because you, you, you have been flying under the radar for a long time. I mentioned to you earlier that like, I can't find very many articles on you really. Like there's some pretty, yeah. pretty detailed articles after cherry blossom that you won this year, which is a huge deal. Um, but now that you're like well under two thirty for the marathon grandma's of, of course it's not a major, but like it brings some fast runners to the field and it's always an exciting one to watch. Do you feel like you're kind of like, maybe I'm not flying on the radar as much anymore? A little bit more so. Um, now, you know, I'm a teacher and we just ended school the week before grandma's. And so, um, in addition to the fact that that was a big breakthrough, I feel like I've just had more time on my hands to kind of absorb the, you know, the fallout from it, you know, just like people reaching out and, and considering, what opportunities this might bring in the future. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it, it feels like it was a pretty big deal. Um, and it was exciting to cross the finish line and feel like that, you know, even though, yes, the, the course is great and the conditions were very nice um, two weeks ago, I don't feel like it was my fastest ever marathon just because of the way that the buildup was. Um, and um, I mean, the buildup went well, but it wasn't focused on a marathon. Mm. Um, it was really focused on the track. And like I said a little bit ago, like it was a marathon where I felt like I executed really well from start to finish. And I didn't feel like I was straining um, really until like that last mile was very tough. Um, but uh, I feel like, you know, at my first Olympic trials, I felt as bad as I felt at mile 25 at this most recent grandma's. 
at like mile four. Mm. So, um, you know, it just feels like, you know, there's more opportunities in the next marathon to, you know, maybe push a little bit earlier and and see what I can do. What an incredible feeling that has to feel so good. So listeners, uh, Susanna ran in the 2016 Olympic trials when it was like, you know, a death trials with like (laughs) the heat and everybody dropping and, and like all kinds of medical help needed all over the course. And she placed 20th, which is really high. And you said you had a pretty good day given the circumstances. Yeah, I was, you know, I was so new. It was my second marathon. I didn't really, um, I still didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing, but, um, you know, my coach had given, you know, very clear instructions about, you know, hydration and, and kind of just, you know, times go out the window in a race like Mm -hmm. this and you're just competing for spots and, you know, make sure that, you know, you're taking in the fuel and and staying hydrated and and managing the things you can manage. Um, And there was just a a big group of my teammates out on the course. And I feel like that also was really helpful for me. And yeah, I just, I feel lucky to have, have gotten to the finish line in one piece because a lot of really, really tough athletes didn't that day. Yeah. It always seems like um, days like that are real opportunities for someone who might be flying under under the radar. You know, I always think back to Boston in 2018 when Sarah Sellers placed and Krista Deshane placed in the top three and like Des won. It's like there's always opportunities when when situations like that arise. Like who's going to rise to the occasion? Because there's going to be a way higher percentage of people that drop or just can't do it. Right. Right. Do you think like the, like, how do you feel the sport has changed since the 2016 trials to the 2020 trials? It just seems like a whole nother ball game now. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I kind of kept doing the, what I was doing all along. Um, and, but I do feel like there was between the 2016 and the 2020 trials, um, you know, the standard, I mean, ultimately didn't end up being any different because they had changed at the last minute in the 2016 trials to, to let the folks in between 243 and 245. But um, I feel like there was just like a lot of, a lot more camaraderie in, mm-hmm. in attaining the trial standard. Um, I mean, obviously there were just so many more competitors at the 2020 trials, but I just, maybe I was just paying more attention to the social media side of things. But um, I, I felt like I was seeing people that I had competed against in college or, um, you know, saw out in the community in DC that were kind of banding together and and had set this goal to qualify for the 2020 trials. And maybe it was just that I was so new to to marathoning in 2016, but I just don't remember any of that being an element of it before. Yeah. It's like, um, I think it, I think that it elevated the sport altogether and like, just as far as like fans and watching and like all of us seeing all these people that, you know, had maybe just broken three hours in the marathon be like, I'm going to go for this trials time. Do you, yeah. do you feel an energy shift at all with that 237? Or do you think people are going to like rise to the occasion? From what I've seen, it seems like a lot of people have just shifted their expectations for themselves. And um, I've seen a couple of people say, okay, that might be out of reach. And, and now I'm going to pursue other goals in this sport. Um, and that's cool too. I've seen a couple of people who had qualified for the trials in 2020 who've decided that 237 just isn't in line with their life goals and they're not willing to, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just not going to be a good fit for them or their families for them to do what's necessary to, to bridge that kind of gap. Um, and so they've gotten in this more involved in other parts of the sport, like coaching or mentoring younger athletes and things like that. And I think that that's, 
you know, a positive development as well. I do too. Um, okay. So let's talk about your history a little bit. You ran for Notre Dame. Yes. Which, Not particularly well. <laughs> yeah. Which you say wasn't like a big career highlight or anything like that. Um, after your college career though, when did you realize like, I'm going to like really put my hat in the ring and try to run with the pros? So when I graduated from Notre Dame, um, I overlapped um, briefly with one of my teammates was the, uh, her name was uh, Alexis Aragon, um, um, Alexa Aragon, and um, sh- her father was Chuck Aragon, and he broke four minutes in the mile, was a very good runner in his own right. And the younger two Aragon sisters were actually in the 1500 this past weekend in USA's. Um, oh, okay. So a, a big running family. Um, and at my last conference meet at Notre Dame, he made a comment to me about, you know, continuing to stay in this sport and that there was more to be, you know, there's more to be had for me in this sport and, you know, to just not, you know, not give up on it, which I thought was kind of interesting at the time because I didn't think that there was any reason to believe that like that was just an unspectacular four years coming to a close. But when I moved back home, I joined up with Capital Area Runners and George Buckheit is the coach there. Um, and he was a really good runner um, back in the day for Bucknell and then ran professionally after that. And I told him very clearly, like, look, running has been heartbreaking for the last four years. It's been soul crushing and body breaking. Like, I just, I don't really want to race, but I love the camaraderie of being part of a team. And, you know, I've just graduated from four years where this has been basically like a full-time job. (laughs) Tried coupling, trying to couple that with schoolwork. Um, And it just feels like there would be a big chunk of me missing if I wasn't part of a team. And, so he said, oh, yeah, 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 you know, fine, you know, like, you just keep working out with us and, you know, we'll see where things go. And I was like, no, no, really, I'm not racing anymore. <laughs> like, I just don't want to get unfit and um, I just want to be part of a team. And I think like two weeks later, I was in my first race. Um, <laughs> Do you remember what it race it was? Horrifically. Yeah, it was. Um, so Potomac River Runners is like a, a local running company in the in the DC area, they've got a bunch of stores and, and they're them. great. Yeah. 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 They're fantastic. And they put on this race series and there's at least a race a month throughout the year. And they're very high energy, very community focused um, events. And they have one, it was a four miler um, in Ashburn, Virginia. And it was, it had to have been like 95 degrees. Oh, it was gross. a nice evening race. It started like seven um, in mid June. I think Georgia told me to go out at like five, 55 to six minute pace. And of course, like I went out in like 530. <laughs> and also, like, I think like almost walked through the finish line and probably came back in like seven minutes. And it was it was rough, but it was so fun. Like, yeah. um, and it was just, you know, it was cool to feel like I was running for me for the first time. And that, you know, like, that was my train wreck and mine alone, um, you know, and like, there weren't, you know, I wasn't letting anybody else down. And um, I quickly learned how to hydrate on in a race, even shorter races, because like in college, like you wouldn't stop at a water stop in a, you know, in a 6K, but or maybe you would, maybe you should have. But like I, <laughs> it didn't occur to me to stop for water or to grab a water in a race that short. But I think I just learned, you know, you just kind of manage the conditions and it doesn't really matter what, you know, what your plan is going in. Um, you know, if it's hot, then you should take water. So I think I just learned a lot really quickly and just really enjoyed the vibes that existed on capillary runners. And, you know, I was seeing progress. I think, you know, a lot of the workouts 
you know, tempos. I think I don't, I don't think I'd ever run a tempo properly until I joined um, up with, with George and he, you know, helped me understand that, you know, it's not supposed to be, you're kind of supposed to negative split it or supposed to be steady. And I was just like making huge positive splits on all my tempos. And once I figured out those pieces of things, I think that um, I started to see more success in races and was, was fully bought in, I think by, um, it was the rock and roll Philadelphia, which is now, I think it's the Philly distance run again. And I ran just over 120, but I stopped like two or three times along the way, um, you know, to walk, or, you know, get water and whatever. Um, and when he kind of contextualized it for me that like that pace was faster than the Olympic trials qualifying pace. I don't know. I think that was the first time that seeds were planted. Um, he probably was so excited when you came onto the team, like she doesn't know what she's about to get into. Like we've got plans here. I yeah. wonder like, um, cause you said it was the first time that you were running for yourself and like no expectations were on you. Like, how do you hold on to that? Like now that you've run the 226 at grandma's and other opportunities might arise and you're going to be really competing with you know, the top American women and women in the world. Like, how does that, how do you keep that pressure off so that you can still feel free when you race, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I just have, I think I am pretty good at compartmentalizing. Like when I'm racing, I'm racing and, um, you know, and I'm just trying to run as fast as I can and, and control the things that I can control. Um, and I think that that partly comes from just the fact that I've got so much going on outside of running with, with teaching and, you know, just trying to juggle a lot of different things that I think that I've learned, especially really since the pandemic, I think I've gotten really good at just saying like, these are my two hours to run, or this is my hour to, you know, swim or whatever it is, um, you know, and, and just be present in that and try to not, you know, worry about what other people are doing or what it looks like for other people. Um, and I think the fact that I found success in that will hopefully keep me on track to, you know, just, just stay the course and not worry about what other people are doing. You, I, you mentioned when swim, I know you got in a car accident and then you had some injuries mm -hmm. and you did a lot of swimming to stay yeah. in shape. Do you still swim for cross training? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm in the pool almost every day. Really? I really, I really love the pool. Um, and I didn't really, like, I didn't grow up necessarily with a swimming background. I mean, we went to the pool. My sister and I went to the pool as kids every day, probably. But yeah, that's an important part for me because I am aware that like not being a full-time professional athlete, the recovery piece of things is probably the area that like there's the most like room for growth. Sure, with. Sure. Um, and so I've always been nervous about, you know, pushing the mileage up too high and ending up with some kind of stress injury. And for me, supplementing with the pool has always been um, kind of the way that I've managed to get some aerobic volume without really crushing the miles. How many miles a week were you running like average or peak for grandmas? Uh, for this last cycle, probably around 80, okay. 80 maybe 85. Okay. Um, I mean, so not low by right, any right. means, but um, not as high as a lot of people running 226. Right. Um, and I mean, the focus, that's why I'm really excited about this grandma's because I really felt like you know, the focus was, um, was the track. And then the idea was that, you know, we kind of thought that the track season would end uh, May 6th, that the sound running the track meet. 
And that was going to be kind of like the last attempt at 10K. And then I didn't really think I was going to get the 31.45 to qualify for USAs. And I didn't. Um, I got, I ran 31.56, but it ended up being good enough to get into USAs. And so the season was a little bit extended, you know, to, to do USAs and going to Eugene and seeing Hayward Field for the first time was, was not, um, I had a, I had a blast, but, um, that meant then that there was, you know, three weeks between USAs and grandmas. And the idea was that there would be one or two long runs, but then I got COVID immediately after coming back. Oh, from wow. I didn't know that was part of the story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, luckily it wasn't, um, you know, I, I did get lucky in that. Um, I mean, I was definitely symptomatic, but I wasn't, it wasn't as bad as, as other stories that I've heard for sure. Um, and it didn't linger, and- linger into the race. Didn't linger, and I also, as a teacher, had like I couldn't go to work for you know the the time I quarantined. So I think I had three days that I didn't go to school because it spanned a weekend. Sure. Um, and so I just got tons of sleep, and I was able to run every day with it. So um, I think in a way, like I mean, it didn't. It certainly didn't help to get COVID, but it didn't. Nec- it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And I think that that also just kind of adjusted the expectations to be like you really are just going to have to you know, get in that race and like very much pay attention to, you know, not straining because we hadn't really had the opportunity to do anything beyond, you know, 16, 18 miles. And so I just kind of expected I was going to get to 18 miles at marathon pace and it was going to get really ugly. So I wanted to make sure I was being cautious really early. So you didn't run longer than 18 miles before grandma's? Not since before Boston. Wow. (laughs) Well, that's a real confidence booster. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, I know different pros have different strategies, but I think I feel like I talk to a lot of people who do 22, 24 milers and ra- yeah. up to race distance. Well, and I had before Boston. Yeah. Um, the, the plan was to do that. But then, you know, with COVID, I couldn't really I was I ran every day, but I was it was a lot, a lot less. You know, yeah. it was like six miles where and I would have normally done 12 or something. Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely nerve wracking to know that I was going to have to run a marathon, you know, 17 days after testing positive for the first time. But I knew that the track speed was there and yeah. I knew that at least initially it was going to feel pretty comfortable and I was just going to have to to hang on. But I really didn't want to pull out of grandma's because um, for the 2020 trials after that car accident, there had been two years of just wondering if I was even going to qualify for the 2020 trials again. And then, um, I kind of had like one shot at qualifying and then the trials were three months later wow. um, for the 20 trials. And I just didn't like, you know, you just never know. And I just didn't want to take the the fitness I had for granted. And I figured I'd just capitalize on it while I know that I'm healthy and I'm fit, um, you know, just in case anything happens in the next year or so. And, you know, Hopefully it doesn't, but you know, if anything happens, I just don't want to be chasing it, you know, down to the wire again because that was a very stressful couple of years. Right. And like even if you didn't know what the outcome of grandma's was gonna be, you you felt certain that like you could take down a two thirty seven just fine. I, yeah, I, yeah, I felt like um, you know, even though I hadn't run like a, a single run longer than eighteen miles, there had been enough consistency week over week that I thought that I'd be okay. <laughs> Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Koala Clip for supporting All Have Another Podcast. If you don't already have a Koala Clip, you are missing out. This is the easiest way to carry your phone on the go. 
your car key, your ID, a little cash, whatever it is. You just slip your phone into the Koala Clip. You clip it to the back of your sports bra, and there you go. It, you don't even have to mess with it. I carried a gel in my Koala Clip along with my phone today. And then I also had somewhere to put my gel packaging, like when I was done using it, instead of like tucking it into the side of my shorts. This is a woman-owned small business. And when you purchase from Koala Clip, you're supporting that. And I couldn't be more excited to feature small businesses run by women in this podcast. So go to koalaclip.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll get you 10% off your order. They also have really cute graphic tanks and tees. I love the Ren sports bra. Do not miss out. Go support Christina and Koala Clip. Koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER and that'll get you 10% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. When did you know in grandma's that it was going to be a special day? So grandma's was the first race that I had actually ever run with a, a GPS watch. Um, oh, interesting. Recently got a Goros and I love it, but oh, good. Um, I, uh, I was, it was just totally cool to have like, to have the positive feedback every mile. Um, I was really excited, you know, to just look at my watch and be like, Oh wow, that didn't feel like they're 535. Oh my gosh, that didn't feel like a 530. And so I feel like I was just kind of taking it one mile at a time. And, um, there may have been clocks at every mile at grandma's. I really don't remember, but I was very focused on just like, you know, glancing down at my wrist every time it buzzed. And it was very encouraging to continue to get, you know, positive feedback every mile that like, okay, that mile felt rough, but you're still running the pace, you know? So, and the goal really was just like, I mean, if everything went sideways just to qualify for the trials. So it was really encouraging to just like, there were a couple moments where I thought, you know, maybe I push a little here. And then I was like, no, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You've just had COVID. So just, you know, hang tight. Don't strain until you absolutely need to. Um, and then the last mile, you know, the crowds were screaming like, you can catch her. Um, Cause I was in fourth and the girl who was in third had, I could see that she was coming back to me. And my last mile was my fastest. So I was still moving along. Um, and I just, was trying to wait until I was absolutely sure that when I passed her, I was going to stay in front of her. Um, and, uh, so it all worked out and that was really, that was really fun. I didn't realize you had an exciting finish like that. That's so like, Oh, too, because like top three just feels so much more rewarding because you're on the podium and all the things. Yeah. I passed her with like exactly a mile to go. And then, uh, I mean, there were a lot of turns at the end of grandma's and there was, people were saying a headwind, but there were so many turns that I don't know how there would be a headwind. There was sure. just wind. There was yeah. like no wind that was not helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, so I passed her and I thought, you know, just based on what I had seen in the previous mile and a half with like, you know, I was closing and she seemed to be fading and, um, I didn't think she was coming back and she passed me like a hundred meters later. And I was like, wait, what? Um, and so then I decided I'm just going to sit on her until I am like absolutely sure that I can like, sprint because I can't sprint from, you know, three quarters of a mile out, but maybe like a quarter of a mile out. So then when I passed her again, it was kind of, it was kind of over after that. Um, I was, I had a chance to look back with probably 200 meters to go and I was reasonably confident I was going to get to the finish line first. So what a stressful uh, finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause once you pass, you're like, okay, I can't do this again. And then here she comes and wow. That's yeah. exciting. Um, so you mentioned a lot of this training was focused on the track. And then of course you mm -hmm. did the cherry blossom 10 miler mm -hmm. 
and one. Um, but after your car accident and mm-hmm. you noticed you had like a hamstring situation going on, yeah. you shifted, did you shift to like faster stuff to like more longer tempo stuff? Um, so I was rear-ended on my way to work in November of, it was 2017. Um, and for the next two years, it was kind of just like fits and starts. Like, um, I, you know, I had, I mean, I just saw so many physical therapists and, you know, I had probably a million massages and was just trying to kind of throw anything at it to, to get it to, to feel okay. Um, and, you know, and see one physical therapist who would say everything that you were doing with a physical therapist before was wrong, you know, and it was just like, it was so frustrating. Um, and, you know, trying to schedule all this stuff around, you know, I'm on my feet all day at work anyways. And so that didn't feel great. And I had two MRIs nine months apart and they didn't, it showed basically no healing in the area that we thought was the problem, but what it ended up being, I think, um, what we decided at the very end was that it was an impinged obturator nerve, um, which is kind of like a pelvic floor kind of thing. And the last physical therapist that I worked with was fantastic. And she basically just said, you're super duper weak. Um, which I thought was interesting because like, I, I mean, I felt like I was reasonably strong. Like I, you know, went to the gym fairly frequently, but apparently just, um, you know, like functional core, mm-hmm you know, strength was, was very, very poor. Um, and so that kind of, that was like mid 2019 started just doing a ton of work to try to have like better core stability and core strength. And, you know, it kind of came out of that, um, in the fall of 2019, I started to run without pain about two weeks before Richmond. And then it was, you know, Richmond was the, uh, the focus for the trials qualifier because, I was a little nervous about going to CIM, which really would have been like the absolute last chance to qualify. Richmond was, you know, a two hour drive down 95. I knew the course. I knew I'd have a lot of teammates around. Um, and so I hadn't really done a lot of work at all at pace before getting into getting into the race and, and it kind of ran ridiculous splits. I think I went out in 118 and came ba- back and like, I like finished in 243. So um, it was, it was not great, but, but after that, the, the pain kind of came back right before the trials, like maybe like three weeks before the 2020 trials. And then, you know, after the trials, obviously the pandemic, um, kind of derailed everything. And I think that that just gave me the opportunity in the months after the trials to just kind of like hit reset, you know, because I felt like I was on the track heading into the trials and then, you know, the trials went really poorly. Um, cause my hamstrings were, or not hamstrings, my actually hip flexors were really, really tight. So then in the months between the trials and um, the marathon project, I um, just kind of, I was just running a lot of miles. I wasn't working out because we didn't have any races on the horizon and I just didn't want to rush anything. So I was focusing a lot on strength and like longer. If I did anything hard, it was like threshold pace, Uh, nothing nothing speed for months. Um, And I think that that really helped just build a lot of strength. What happened to the marathon project? Um, I ran two thirty three twenty seven. So I it was, Boston was a five second PR. Okay, <laughs> okay. So that was a big. I mean, that was just a lot of validation yeah. um, at the marathon project that I was back on the right track because I mean it was a PR for the first time in five years. Um, so that was really exciting, and then that kind of began a string of of PRs after that, which was really um 
which was really fun. So you mentioned that you run 85 miles, you were running 85 miles a week, but you're in the pool every day. What are you doing in the pool every day? Um, I kind of alternate between, uh, pool running and swimming. Okay. Um, I, I'd say it's probably like 85% pool running, uh, okay. because I really like, listening to, you know, the news and the podcasts and, um, books on tape. Yeah. The pool. And so Multitask. I can't do that with swimming. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, but in the summer, I think I, I swim more because, um, I go to an outdoor pool yeah. and it's not deep enough all the way across. And I just can't handle the like teeny tiny tight circles. Yeah. Um, so in the summer I swim a lot because the pool's just too shallow to, to do pool running. I feel like so. swimming outside is more fun too. Like actual swimming than inside yeah. for some reason. I don't know. You just feel less trapped or something. Yeah. I go to a pool that so many of my students go to. Oh, that's so, so funny. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's a lot of pressure to like, you know, look like I know what I'm doing. And I think when I pull run, they think that I can't swim. Yeah. So it's like when I, when I go to that pool, I just swim. Um, because I, you know, they'll come over and they'll be like, you know, what are you doing? That's you know, so funny. So it's like a neighborhood pool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my son saw his teacher at, he went to a birthday party at one of the neighborhood pools. And I was like, did you talk to her? He's only seven though. He's younger than your students. <laughs> He was like, no, like I, you remember how awkward and like weird it was seeing your teacher at like Target, you know, when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been really fun this past year. I mean, when, you know, when things weren't going particularly well in running, I just didn't I just didn't want to talk about it. Like, yeah. It was too stressful. I tried to very much compartmentalize when I was at work. I was a teacher and when I was outside, I was trying to be a runner. Um, but this past year has been a blast because like the running has been going well and there's just been a lot more like local hype, mm. um, you know, Washington posted some things after cherry blossom and, um, you know, before I ran Boston, they were a couple of the parents of kids in my class really got excited about that. And so there were posters all on the wall. Oh, fun. And I feel like my first Olympic trials, the kids like, you know, there were posters and all that, but it was like, Miss Sullivan, we think you're going to win. And it was like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, I don't, perhaps I haven't explained this clearly enough. <laughs> I'm not going to the Olympics. Um, but for Boston, it was just like, you know, they were able to watch it on TV and, and all that. And they seemed to understand that the goal wasn't to win. And yeah. so we talked you know, about growth mindset and I was just trying to run the fastest that I could. Um, and they seemed to to really be excited this year about like, you know, was it a personal best? They didn't really care so much this year if I won the race, which was kind of a cool shift to see in, in them. And I must have been framing it in a better way that like the goal wasn't often to win it was to run as fast as I could so yeah it's interesting to see it through a kid's eyes I mean I think that even a lot of parents listening their kids have probably all said to them like are you gonna win what place (laughs) did you get like in February I ran a half marathon like super slow like not fast at all for me even and um my son was like, what place did you get? And I was like, I don't know, maybe like 120th. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, I have no idea. Um, But same, like, then you try to explain to them, like, this was like a step in the process of of my journey that I'm trying to do. And um, yeah, but you, you teach fifth grade advanced academics. What's that? Um, So Fairfax County Public Schools, which is the system that I um, teach in, it's huge. And there is a program called the Advanced Academic Program. Um, and it, I think, you know, years ago, it was like a gifted and talented program. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the 
you know, the qualifications have adjusted over the years. Um, and so essentially it's just like, I focus on math. So in math, it's more of a, just an acceleration program. I teach sixth grade content to fifth graders. Okay. Um, and a lot of the kids, you know, do math outside of school. And so a lot of the times they're ready to dabble in other kind of pre-algebra elements of the, the curriculum. Um, so it's usually like sixth through eighth grade kind of content. Um, and I'm really excited because next year I am going to be teaching sixth grade. So I'm going to have all of, not exactly the same kids in my homeroom, but all of the kids that will be in my class next year, except for kids that are obviously new to the school, um, I'll have taught before. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. And so I'm a little nervous because, um, I love fifth grade. I think it's just like, it's, it's a very cool age. Um, and sixth grade, I think that, you know, they care a little less about what their teachers think and a little yeah. more about what their friends think. So uh-huh. I'm a little, a little nervous about that, but I felt like we had a really good vibe as a class this past year. And I love getting them outside. Um, and at the beginning of the year, I'm fairly like uncompromising on expectations. And so, um, you know, they, they were a very well behaved bunch of children by like, November, I'd say kind nice. of crazy at the beginning of the year. Um, and so um, I love to get outside. We have a forest behind our school. Um, and we can walk, kind of go for walks behind the school. And so last year, they had figured out that, um, you know, if we had an efficient morning, and we got through what we were supposed to get through, we would go out for a walk in the woods. Um, That's and so that cool. was actually nice for me too to just kind of like, you know, have a movement break during the day. Yeah. So. Um, I'm excited that, you know, some of the expectations will be laid. They understand that like, I will be fun if they are, you know, cooperative. Um, so, um, I'm excited to feel like, you know, we can kind of just pick up where we left off and, you know, already have some established relationships with the kids. That's so good. I, I, it's cool that you have the freedom to do that. I don't know how much freedom teachers in different school systems have, but like, that, I mean, that is such an important part of the day, that movement piece. Like we all need that. Yeah, I feel strongly about it. Um, it's not super duper popular. The parents seem to love it. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I would be I all about that if I that my kids teachers were doing that. I think sometimes my administrators are like, I'm sorry, you're going where again? <laughs> but, you know, it, it works. I mean, the kids, you know, the kids do well and, um, you know, they're happy and cooperative. And so I think at the end of the day, you know if the kids are happy and the parents are happy and it works out. So. That's so good. Um, I feel that I've talked to recently quite a f- handful of professional runners who are also teachers and that's really fun. And I know we have a lot of teachers who also listen to the podcast. So it's super cool to hear that crossover and how you like do your everyday life with teaching, but also your 85 mile weeks with running. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a I think a really good balance this past year. Like I said earlier, like the compartmentalizing piece of it is really great. Like when things aren't going particularly well, you kind of just you know if the workout this morning wasn't great, you know it is what it is. You, you know, now you've got last year I had over the course of a day I saw ninety two wow. fifth graders. So wow. um, you know there's ninety two personalities and ninety two you know things that they more than ninety two things that they need. So. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a good distraction um, for me sometimes. I mean, it's definitely stressful at times. Um, sometimes there's just a lot and it doesn't seem like, you know, there's enough time in the day to get through everything. But um, I feel like I've been at the school long enough that the parents um, 
no, I'm established enough that like the parents trust. And I think that that's a helpful point that I've reached in my career as well. I feel like I'm not um, having to kind of explain myself as much, um, which certainly took a lot of time at the, in my first couple of years of teaching, you know, where you're explaining kind of like the why behind the what that you're doing. Um, and now it's just sort of like, you know, they trust that, you know, I'm gonna, I care about their kids. Um, and you know, that we're going to get to where we need to get by the end of the school year. Um, and so that's really fulfilling too. just feel like I have these relationships and I've got, you know, families that trust me and that can just kind of be nice validation, like when a run has gone terribly or, you know, whatever else is going on, you know, that I'm still moving forward. Um, do you think that you'll continue? Like, what if you keep like chopping off blocks of time? Like, do you think you'll continue doing both or do you think you'll try to take a couple years where you solely focus on running? I mean, not that you can do two jobs, but like the teaching yeah. job, like that's a, that's a very, time-consuming yeah. and structured time-consuming job. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are definitely times where I wish, you know, I had something a little more flexible where I could just block off some time and take a nap or go for a lunchtime run. And that's just not a reality with teaching. Um, and so, I mean, the last two weeks have just been kind of a whirlwind and thinking about, you know, what 226 means, um, you know, kind of for the trajectory. I think for the short term, I mean, I, I really love, um, you know, where I'm at. And I think I will teach at least for another year. But, you know, I, I guess I'll see kind of what opportunities present themselves. Um, and I would certainly be open to, you know, taking a step back, you know, in terms of like a, you know, part time something in schools, I think maybe like math coach, because I really like teaching math. Um, that's oh, yeah, you tutor too, don't you? I do. I tutor outside of school. So like, I mean, that's another, you know, that's another piece of it. Like yeah. I could, you know, I could pull back on tutoring or I could focus more on tutoring and, you know, and not teach full time or something like that. So um, I feel like there's a lot of different possibilities for what the next couple of, yeah, what the next couple of years could hold. And I think I'll probably, I think I'll probably teach, um, you know, for another year, but then like in the Olympic year, maybe, mm. maybe look at something else um, or a different kind of just structure to the time. So Have I don't you know. <laughs> talk to anybody like Kira D'Amato or, you know, people that have like really excelled a little bit later in, the, in their mid thirties, you know, people who weren't on anybody's radar and then started kind of coming up and also juggling multiple facets of their life. Have you talked to anybody like that? You know, I haven't extensively and I, I mean, I really should. Um, Kira just lives, you know, like a mile and a half from me. And um, she actually, mentioning the Potomac River races earlier um she used to be the announcer for them and so, so I guess we were joking around it and um, I think it was at the Boston 5k earlier this year um we didn't really talk about you know like the trajectory because I think the 226 also changes things and you know there have been races sure. since then that have made me you know feel like I do want to kind of pursue it more more you know spend more time with with running and seeing how good I can be but um at the time we were just she was joking around about how funny it was to think about like she had been, you know, kind of cheering me into the finish line when I would win these Potomac river runner races. Um, and she was, you know, at the time running like, you know, 20 minute 5k or whatever. Um, and so, um, it's just kind of funny to think of like how much things have changed in the last couple of years for her. And so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the summer gives me the opportunity to 
learned from some people in the sport who I don't really interact with that much during the school year just because there's so much going on. Yeah. It's just wild to like when you have a breakthrough year, like breakthrough performances to sit back, step back and be like, oh, this is like further than I maybe would have guessed I would be at this point. And like the potential, especially the way that you describe a, your training for grandmas, but B, like how you felt during the race and like knowing that there's so much more there. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. sky's the limit, really. Yeah, I'm excited for my next marathon. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm excited for it. So. Yeah, what are you doing now? Are you kind of just like taking the summer to feel like, okay, let's take a deep breath? Um, yes and no. Um, I'm going to run – a July 4th race. I okay. think I think that's the plan. Just kind of as a uh, not Peachtree. I love Peachtree, but <laughs> that was that was I too think going to be soon. too hot. For, yeah, for where I am right now. But um, there's one. I just bought a place in Reston, Virginia, um, and there's a Potomac River running store like right there. And they have they have a July 4th race. So I'm planning on just kind of doing that as the first real like hard effort since Grandma's. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Um, and if that goes okay, I'll likely do the Boilermaker 15k, which, so the cherry blossom is part of the professional road racing organization circuit. And it includes the, the Bloomsday 15k or 12k. And I'm not sure where that is. Um, and, uh, cherry blossom, um, and then the Boilermaker. And so there's some incentives built in to like get the, cherry blossom champion and the okay uh bloomsday champion all together and then i guess like if you if you win that there's like a bonus yeah if you win two of them and so um they've been kind of you know encouraging me to show up and um i think that you know i mean the fitness is definitely there and um it's apparently always very hilly and very hot but apparently like a huge party and it ends at a brewery and Apparently tons of fun. So I figured, you know, like, why not? We'll give it a go. It'll be, um, you know, it'll be what it'll be. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll give it my best effort. And then kind of the next big focus is, um, I really like to do Falmouth again. I did that last summer for the first time and it was, it was so much fun. Um, and I stay with a host family there that, um, they were just lovely last year. And so they've been, texting me after almost every race this spring uh, and they're super excited to have me back so I'm thinking that's probably going to be the only big summer race and then I don't know I need to talk with my coach and figure out um you know what's next and what the fall looks like will the Potomac race on the fourth like do any like strong competitors come out there maybe I don't want to I don't want to dog other people for not being like super as fast as you but like will you be alone up there or will there be people with you I mean, I think that there will certainly be some guys to, um, to like just cling on to. And I've never broken, um, I don't think I've run under 16. Well, I've run under 16, 10 in the 5k and a road, but it's been en route to a 10k and that's a cherry blossom because it has a downhill start. So you just go straight downhill, but I've never actually broken 16 on the roads and this course is fairly hilly. So it's unlikely, but that's kind of the goal is to find a guy who's, you know, thinking, of breaking 16 and just you know trying to see if I can hang on okay Uh, but it will also just be kind of feeling out how I feel after grandma's if I discover in the first mile that you know you know 510 pace feels you know awful then I guess that's that you know and I'll just 
try to, you know, hang on and hopefully pull out the win. But it's, it really varies year to year. You know, people show up. There's, um, yeah, there's been some Kenyans and Ethiopians that have shown up um, in years past. So you just kind of never really know what you're going to see. So Man, switching from marathon gear to 5k gear so quick <laughs> is going to be kind of a shock to the system. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that all the, you know, all the track stuff helps. Yeah. I ran a, a mile PR like the day before I tested positive for COVID. Okay. Um, so I know that I know that there are still some wheels there. So um, hopefully I can find them and hopefully the marathon didn't, you know, beat them out of me. So totally. um, We'll see. Well, this has been so fun to learn about your life and, and hear about grandmas. We always wrap up the podcast with some end of podcast questions. What's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I think I would really like to make a U.S. team. Um, We'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe cross country or something like that. Um, I feel like, I mean, I feel like I've been dabbling in everything. So, I mean, I guess the next thought is, you know, maybe try to get good at cross country. So, um, that sounds fun. So we'll see. Yeah. That would be, I think that would be fun. Who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or a cocktail with? Um, I've been thinking about this one a lot. And I, this is where my indecisiveness comes through. Like this morning, I had a list of like 10 people. Um, <laughs> oh, I but I that. think, um, I think uh, David Attenborough, um, he's the narrator for uh, the Planet Earth series. Oh, um, cool. And he's like, um, I mean, he's, he's fairly old and um, he's, uh, he's British. So ideally, I would go you know, to, to Europe to meet him. And uh, he is just very passionate about climate science and, and climate change. And um, he, he narrates these documentaries, but he also goes to the places. And so I feel like he would also be helpful to talk to about, you know, you know, putting together a travel itinerary for me, where are the coolest places to, you know, to see. So. Oh, that's cool. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, so I often am reading a book and listening to a book. Um, like, and, and there'll be two different books. Um, oh, you know, say, like, do you go back and forth or no? No, oh, no, okay. no, no. I don't Separate. think I handle that. But um, usually I try to make sure that one is nonfiction and one is fiction so I don't confuse the two. Um, so I finished two books. I mean, I read a ton in the summer and then in the school year. It's just kind of like a full court press on like, you know, managing the day to day. But I was listening to um, a book called um, Lessons from the Edge. It's a memoir by uh, Marie Ivanovich. She was the ambassador in Ukraine fairly recently. Um, and then so I was listening to that and then I was reading The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. Mm. Um, she wrote The Nightingale and I really liked The Nightingale. Um, the Great Alone was was rough. Like it, it's a really heartbreaking book. And there were definitely times where I wanted to just put it down and walk away, but I couldn't. So I guess that's a good sign of a great book. Um, so I thought um, that that's the Alaska one, right? Yeah. yeah. I felt that way too with that one. It's not my favorite of her books. Yeah, it was hard. Like there were a couple points where I was like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> this is not helpful for my mental health. Um, no. And then, yeah. Up, but. I just read Mystic River by her. It was good. Okay. I think it's a newer one. Like maybe not her newest, but like it's because you know how a lot of her books are like historical fiction. Yes. Yeah. This one is not. It's more just so like a woman who's about to be 40 and like just her life a life story of hers and it's you know it's got the romantic 
side to it. She always has like a love story in her books, but it was good. I just finished it this morning. Okay, nice. But nothing tragic, right? Not really, no. I mean, there, <laughs> good, there, I don't think I can take more. It wasn't tragic like The Great Alone. There is tragedy weaved into one of the character stories, but it's not like the main topic. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Great Alone is a lot. I know. It's like you need a break. When you read a book like that, you need a break. You need a happy break. Yeah. Um, what's your last message to leave with our audience? I mean, it seems kind of cliche, but just like, just keep working towards, you know, whatever it is the goals are. I mean, if, if you told me in, when I was at Notre Dame that I was going to run 226 for the marathon, not only I would have told you you were nuts, but everybody on the team would have told you you're crazy. So um, it's just been really fun to, you know, kind of see a lot of, you know, big gains in the, the last like nine months or so, but it's been a really fun last nine months. And I feel like I've, you know, I've worked on a lot of weaknesses that I had and it's just kind of cool to see how much that's paying off. Um, so I'd say just don't count yourself out. Don't count yourself out. Thank you, Susanna. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Susanna, for coming on the podcast. Friends, tomorrow we have an episode coming out with Sarah Sellers. And Friday, we have an episode coming out with Dakota Lindworm. I'm very excited for this Grandma's Marathon three-part series. If you are loving the podcast, leave us a rating and review. Share it with your friends. You can learn more about our network, Sandy Boy Productions, when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626 over there, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And of course, we have a great Facebook group where... People ask questions, connect with each other. Um, it's just called All Have Another Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for being here, and we will see you tomorrow.